0: passage for today's teaching is Genesis 16, verses 1 through 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me, for she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Bir Lahairoi. It is still there between Kaddish and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Oh, am I on? There I am. Um, Where's my mother? She was here. I think she's in the children's room right now. Shoot, I missed her. Um, Happy Mother's Day to all of you. Uh, I've chosen, of course, the classic Mother's Day text. um, The the perennial favorite for Mother's Day. Uh, We're going to take a break. We're still in our series in Philippians, which we have two more weeks in, just so you know. But we're taking a break from it to... um, Go through this passage, which uh, at first glance does not at all appear to be a good Mother's Day text, but if you'll bear with me, I think you'll see some pretty amazing themes that will be hopefully very encouraging, not only to you women, but to all of us. So um, I'm excited, but you're going to have to, I'm going to make you work today. You have to bear with me. It's not going to come to the end, but stay with me in this amazing story. So I'm going to just, I'm just throwing us into this ancient story about this ancient family. We're going back 4,000 years at least to this family, to these two moms, ultimately, you have Sarah and Hagar, and this family unit. And we're thrown today into the beauty and the mess and the dysfunction and the complexity complexity and the miracles and the joy and the laughter and all of that in this ancient family. But what we're going to see is our God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We'll see his character. We'll see his love for his people. We'll see his pursuit of his people. We'll see his pursuit of these two moms. And so I hope it will be apparent by the end why this is a very, I think, encouraging passage for you women. And and you all know the minute, the day you become a mom, uh, or the day you have a mom, (laughs) which is to say the day you enter into this world, um, we are thrown into a smorgasbord of joy and laughter and fun and pain and unmet hopes and dysfunction and brokenness and it's all this big bundle and yet in the midst of it we have this God who sees us, who hears us, and who's able to bring beautiful things out of the brokenness of our lives. And so we're going to see how that happened for uh, these two moms, especially Hagar this morning and hopefully by the end I'll have a relevant encouragement for you moms that will make sense. All right, so let's just enter. I'm very excited. Uh, this story is an amazing story to me for so many reasons. Familiar to many of you, not familiar to you, familiar to some of you, I'm sure. Um, but I really I want you to bring your imaginations into this. I want you to enter into the reality of these, of these ancient people today and see what is there for us. All right, so a little context, uh, we have Abram and Sarai. I'm going to call them by the names we know them as Abraham and Sarah for the rest of the day. They haven't been renamed yet, um, but Abraham and Sarah. So God called this man Abraham and his family at least 10 years before this Moment. He said, I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your, your, your kinsmen, your home out in Ur of Chaldea, And I want you to go to this new land, the land of Canaan that I'm going to show you. He said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth through you. I'm going to give you so many descendants. It will be more than the, the stars in the sky. So he, he makes this beautiful promise of, of descendants and, and land to this young, or not a young couple. Uh, but they set off on this journey. And now at this scene, there uh, Abraham is 85 and Sarah is 75, okay? It's been 10 years since that promise was made and still no children. 75 is getting a little old, right, for you women to have children. So Sarah, uh, we'll find out in verses 1 through 3, she is this woman of 75 years of age who has followed her husband on this crazy adventure of this unseen God that has made these amazing promises, And yet 10 years later now, she is still without children. And so she's dealing with all the pain, all the unmet hopes and dreams of a woman of her age, especially in that culture. And of course, even today, And she's wrestling with that. And so she comes up with a plan to fix the problem. Let me read it to you. We're going to just walk right through this. I want you to just try to enter into this. So let me read verses 1 through 3. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. So Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abraham had been living in Canaan for 10 years, Sarah's wife took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. All right, so Sarah comes up with this plan that I don't know how the plan strikes you this morning. It might feel a bit outrageous and unconventional. Let me just suggest it's in in her shoes. It's actually a a fairly reasonable plan. Okay, what she's suggesting was not at all out of the norm culturally in that day. If if a a woman uh, wasn't able to have biological children and had servants. It was common practice in that day to have the husband sleep with a servant and and raise up children for the husband and wife. That would be legally the husband and wife's children. So it was not not an uncommon cultural practice in the day. A little more uncommon today, of course. Um, And the other thing is that God had made a promise to Abraham. He said, I'm going to give you many descendants. And technically, he had never said, he never explicitly said those descendants would come through Sarah. And so Sarah's thinking, gosh, 10 years, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe we need to help God out on this plan a little bit, okay? So unconventional to us, not that unreasonable in that day and age. But clearly, I think the narrator wants us to realize, not unreasonable, but this decision was not based on faith. Okay, this was not a faithful decision. And you see the, the immediate re, uh, you know, repercussions kind of tip you off to this probably wasn't such a good idea. Um, the author also, if you look at verse 3, let me read verse 3. The language is, the author's very intentionally echoing an earlier story. Let me see if you can get it. Verse 3, midway through it. Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife, and he slept with her. Can you guys think of another story where a wife took something and gave it to her husband and eight, right, right. The original sin, right, of Adam and Eve in the garden. So the narrator is t- tipping us off to this is the same kind of decision that Adam and Eve made. This is not based off of faith in God's promises. This is a human decision that is rooted in unfaith and sin. Now let's just think about Hagar for a second, okay? Which we don't normally consider her much in this story. She is in verse one. She's Sarah's Egyptian maid servant. So uh, back in that day, people had servants. She is, she is uh, Sarah's servant. She is her essentially her property. She doesn't have legal rights of her own. She's answerable to Sarah, and she's Egyptian. So uh, Abraham and Sarah previously had gone down to Egypt during a famine and then come back into Canaan. So apparently at some point in that journey, they had picked up some servants, and Hagar is one of those servants. So let's just think about her for a second. She has at least three strikes against her, okay? In an ancient culture, she is a woman, which is a strike against you. In ancient culture, um, she is a slave, no legal rights, and third, she is a foreigner. She doesn't. She's not living in her homeland. She has no voice, culturally speaking. And up to this point, she is just a powerless victim in this little scheme that Abraham and Sarah come up with. Okay, she's just like an object. She's taken by her mistress and given to her mistress's husband. She has no voice. She has no say in it. We don't really know what she thinks. It doesn't really matter, culturally speaking. She's just a powerless victim. And then we actually find out something about her in uh, verse 4 after she conceives. Look at the second half of verse 4. When she knew she was pregnant, what does she do? She began, so this Hagar began to despise her mistress, Sarah. So here's what happens. Up to that point, there'd been this real power dynamic in their relationship, right? Sarah's the master, Hagar's the servant. You do what I say. Now all of a sudden, Hagar is Abraham's wife also, and she's pregnant. She's bearing Abraham's child. So there's been this massive shift in the power dynamic in the relationship. And it says, Hagar despises, or more literally, she is now looking down on Sarah. She's enjoying the shift in power dynamic. and She's not dealing with it in a, a healthy way, in a, in a loving way. So we're supposed to sympathize with Sarah in this moment. So she despises her. Verse 5. So then Sarah goes to her husband. You are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. Technically true. Uh, I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. So everything's just kind of unraveling very quickly, right? And we have the story of the fall in the garden all living out again. There's sin, and then quickly there's blaming, right? I love Abraham's response. Your slave is in your hands. You do whatever. He just completely shirks responsibility. Right, So you have the, the, the fall all over again, blaming, shifting of responsibility. It happens so quickly, and you realize really quickly, oh, this was a really bad decision. Uh, and then at the end of verse 6, it says, Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. That word mistreated, I'll, I'll bring it up later on today. It's a strong word. We might today say she abused her. She just treated her poorly. And so Hagar flees. So now our sympathy lies a bit with Hagar. Hagar. All right? So she flees and it becomes clear if as you read what's come, what's happening, she is headed home. She's headed home to Egypt. Okay? She's like, "I'm out. This is crazy. I'm out." She's headed home to Egypt. Uh, a big problem. There's a huge wilderness desert between Canaan and Egypt, all right? I mean, it's any of you have been there. This is the same desert that Israel would wander for 40 years. So I want you to picture this woman, okay, in the middle of the middle, uh, middle Eastern desert, for a second, okay? I cannot think of a more desperate situation. You have a woman on her own in the middle of the desert. She is a runaway slave, right? Think about her legal status as a runaway slave. She's pregnant, right, in the middle of the desert. This is pre-Uber Right? This is pre, you know, hotels with AC. Okay, I, I can't honestly think of a more powerless, vulnerable place for a person to be in ancient society. She is a nobody, literally in the middle of nowhere. Okay? She's completely insignificant. She is um, she would go utterly unnoticed and totally vulnerable. She is there both because of wrongs that have been done to her and because of wrongs that she has done. She is both victim and victimizer in this encounter. Okay, So she is in a, she's a, a nobody in the middle of nowhere, totally helpless. All right, verse 7. Enter God into this story. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord Found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. This is on the way to Egypt. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? So it'll be clear at the end of this passage. This is the Lord himself showing up in some physical form that she can see. And that will be obvious when we get to the end. But you have the God of the universe finding this Nobody, slave woman, in the middle of nowhere and drawing near to her. And the first thing he says is he addresses her by name, Hagar. And this is the first person in the story who has addressed her by name. Okay, Abraham and Sarah never call her by name. Verse 2, sleep with my maidservant. Verse 5, I put my servant in your hands and now she despises me. Verse 6, your servant is in your hand. Never. This is the first time someone actually calls her by name. And scholars will tell us this is the only instant in ancient Near East, like ancient literature where a deity calls a woman by name. This is the only instance we have of that available to us today. And a slave woman, no less. Hagar. And then he does acknowledge servant of Sarah, he does acknowledge the place that has been appointed for her at this time. And then he, uh, she says, what do you do? She says, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah. He answered verse nine. He gives her a command. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. So he's asking her to go back to a very difficult situation, but the command comes with this beautiful promise. Verse 10, the angel added I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Okay, this is the blessing of Abraham, right? Descendants too numerous to count, now being given to Hagar. Okay, God promised Abraham, you will be the father of many nations. And he's saying to her, you will be a mother of many nations. You'll have many nations descendants. Are you of a nation? You have many descendants. And then verse 11, the angel of the Lord also said to her, you're now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard of your misery. That name Ishmael, what's at the end of that name? Ishmael, which means what? God, right? Ishmael, the, the name means God hears. And so God shows up in the desert and says, I hear you. I hear your cry, okay? When no one else heard you, when your voice was, when you had no voice, I heard and I am here and I'm giving you this son. You'll have many descendants and your son will be this constant reminder to you that God hears you. And then he goes on to say something very interesting about our son, which a lot of ink has been spilled over verse 12. I'm going to give you a slightly different interpretation than maybe you've heard. Verse 12, he will be a wild donkey of a man, His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility, or other translations, he will live to the east of all his brothers. Okay? Let me just say one thing. This requires like a whole sermon. I don't have time for. But most of us hear this, and we have a narrative in our minds. And we hear this in our English translations, and this sounds like a curse to us, doesn't it? Like, God, that sounds like a really bad thing to say about somebody. Um, Let me suggest that it is not as strong a negative as it sounds to us. And I have a lot of reasons for thinking that. First, it would be very strange for God to show up to this woman in the wilderness comforting her and then pronounce a curse on her son in that context. Secondly, whatever God says to her, it is clear that that Hagar does not experience it as a curse. When he finishes talking, it is clear that she is very comforted and encouraged by this encounter, so much so that she's willing to go back and submit herself to a tough situation. So something is being lost in translation, okay? And again, come talk to me afterwards if you want to hear more about this. But let me just say one thing that I think goes in the right direction. He says, your son will be a wild donkey of a man. And most of us pick up on that word donkey. When we hear donkey, we think of stubborn, ugly, right? Like that's, that's not a great thing. But I think the emphasis is on the word wild. And in the ancient desert, donkeys were wild. They roamed free. And so a, a modern equivalent would be to say like, your, your son will be a, a Mustang of a man, like a wild horse of the West. And the idea being God is speaking to a woman who is a slave, who has been subjected to slavery. And he's saying, your son will not be a slave. He will be free. His hand will be over against his brothers. He will be fierce, and he will be able to fight his own battles. He will not be subjected by other peoples. Okay? He will roam. He will live a nomadic life, but he will be free. He will not be be enslaved. Let me suggest that is the tenor of what God is saying to her. Look at her response. Clearly, she's encouraged by this in a way that we go, I wouldn't be encouraged if I heard that of my son. Verse 13, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one Who sees me. What a beautiful thing to say. I have now seen the one who sees me. I'm seen. I'm noticed. I'm not invisible. And culturally, she was invisible. But she realizes, no, there's someone who has always heard me. There's someone who has always seen me. And now I've actually seen the one who sees me. And so she goes back. And she submits herself to Sarah. And Ishmael grows up in this family. Are you with me still? Feeling Mother's Day a little bit? No? All right. Fast forward. Jump to chapter 21. We're going to fast forward 10 years in this family's life. Chapter 21. We're going to hear another story that's going to sound very similar to the first story. All right. So it's been another 10 years. Okay. Still no child for Abraham and Sarah. Uh, At least 10 years. Ishmael is now maybe a young teen. Uh, let me read verse 1 through 7. Uh, verse 20, uh, chapter 21. Now the Lord was gracious with Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah become, pr- became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son was eight, years, uh, eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old, wow, when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said God has brought me to laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me and she added who would have said to Abraham and Sarah uh, said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children yet I have borne him a son in his old age the name Isaac means. Laughter, Yeah, he laughs. Laughter. And I I want to tell you the story of how his name came to be. Because I laugh every time I hear this story. So this is two chapters earlier. Uh, This is years earlier, or a year earlier. God shows up to Abraham. Abraham goes outside his tent. And God has this encounter with Abraham. Sarah's inside the tent listening to this story. Um, And this is how Isaac gets his name. This is what the Lord says to Abraham. The Lord said, you're going to laugh in a second. I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is, this, is old, will I now have this pleasure? Okay, that is a cynical laughter, right? It's the laughter of unbelief. Pfft, yeah, right, God. That's funny. That's a, that's a funny joke. Uh, God's outside. God says, then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I'm old. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Sarah was afraid. So she lied and said, I did not laugh. But the Lord said, oh, yes, you did laugh. (laughs) So a year later, now this miracle boy is born and he's named Isaac. Laughter. And the laughter of cynicism and unbelief has been turned to the laughter of just pure joy and utter surprise at this miracle blessing that, that Sarah and Abraham have received. All right, so verse 8. Uh, the child grew, this is Isaac, and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. So he's a couple years old. Uh, and at the feast, but Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abram was mocking. Okay, so this young teen, Ishmael, he's mocking Isaac, and literally he is Isaacing at Isaac. That's what the Hebrew is. He's laughing at Isaac. Somehow he's poking fun of him. He's mocking him. Sarah's paternal or maternal instincts, protective instincts, kick in into overdrive in verse 10. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. Okay, we got to get rid of him. Uh, verse 11, this matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son, his son Ishmael, right? He is, this is his son. He loves Ishmael. Earlier, he had asked God, please make Ishmael the child of promise that I've asked for. So he, he loves his son and requires God's intervention to convince Abraham to go along with Sarah's thoughts. So verse 12, God says to him, don't be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac That your offspring will be reckoned. Isaac is the son of of promise. But then he gives him a beautiful promise. Verse 13. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also. Because he is your offspring. So that that promise being given to to Ishmael as well. Uh, Verse 14. Early the next morning, Abram took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she left the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bowshot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. Okay, so round two, in the desert, on the way to Egypt. Again, a, an utterly desperate and hopeless situation. I mean, just picture this this mom. Her boy is a he's fourteen. He's he's being shaded somewhere. She goes off away, maybe because she doesn't want to, him to see her cry. And she just breaks down. And she's out of water, they're desperate, and she starts crying. It'll be clear in a moment that her son is crying too, under the bush. Okay. So round two. Round two, enter again the God of the universe. Watch this. So beautiful. Verse 17. God heard the boy crying. Literally, God ishmael the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from, the, from heaven and said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand. He reaffirms the promise, for I will make him into a great nation. Right? This, this promise, this name Ishmael, I am now fulfilling that name. I've heard him. I hear him. And he gives her this wonderful this promise, these words of tender promise and faithfulness and commitment to her. And then verse 19, then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. Previously, God had shown up in, in, in some sort of form that she could see. This time, he opens her eyes not to his presence but to his provision, which was actually right there all along. She couldn't see it. But God opens her eyes. He affirms his love and, and commitment and opens her eyes to the provision that she had no idea was right there. So again, you have God seeing. You have God hearing, seeking this mom and her boy out and rescuing them. And then the story ends in verse 20. God was with the boy. That's always an expression of favor, right? As he grew up, he lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. All right. So there's the story. These two moms and God's work in their lives. And let's just step back for a minute, okay? And just think in the midst of all this brokenness and rivalry, right? And, and jealousy and dysfunction and disappointment. You have this picture of God who enters into the real mess of human life, who hears and sees and enters in and pursues his people and rescues his people, brings, can bring beautiful things out of very broken situations. Uh, What's really interesting is scholars will point out that there are lots of parallels between Hagar's experience and the nation of Israel's experience, okay? So think about this for a second. Hagar became a slave, right? And Israel became slaves in Egypt for 400 years. The word that I talked about earlier where, where it says that Sarah mistreated or abused Hagar is the exact same word in Exodus 1 that is used of how the Egyptians treated the Israelites in slavery. They mistreated them. They abused them. They treated them harshly. Okay? She flees into the wilderness just as the Israelites Fleed into the wilderness. Same word used, Exodus 14, as the story of Hagar. And then she is provided for by God, who sees her in the wilderness, provides for her needs, just as God provides uh, for Israel in the wilderness. Here's what God says to Moses, okay, in Exodus 3. This is the burning bush story. Look at the language and how it echoes what he says to Sarah. God shows up to Moses after 400 years in Egypt, right? The Lord said this, I have seen, right, I have seen, The misery of my people in Egypt, I have heard, I have Ishmael, them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. The same God who who Hagar experienced as the God who hears me and the God who sees me now, Israel as a nation would experience as the God who hears and sees us. When we didn't think anybody was listening, after hundreds of years crying out, didn't feel like there's anybody listening, oh, God was listening. God saw our pain, and now God is entering in to do something beautiful about it. This is who our God is. In the midst of the challenges, the suffering, the sin, the dysfunction of life, we have this God who enters in, who sees us, and who hears us, no matter what we're going through. And is here to bring beauty out of the brokenness and dysfunction of our lives. You still with me? All right, so Mother's Day. So mothers, uh, and you women... Um, I want to encourage you uh, through this really wacky, broken, beautiful story. Um, I I want you to be encouraged and comforted. I want to encourage you in in two ways through this story. Um, First, to picture this God who sees and hears. And just to say to you mothers, thank you that you are such a beautiful expression of that aspect of who our God is. You are such tangible evidence in our lives of that aspect, imperfect, of course. But you are these concrete expressions of a God who sees us and who hears us. You know, it's often said that our, our parents are our first kind of experience of God, which terrifies me as a young parent. Um, but you mothers, in, in so many ways, again, in all your brokenness, you are this beautiful picture of this aspect of God, this God who sees us and hears us because you, you see us and you hear us and all of our good, and all of our bad, like nobody else sometimes. And the reality is when we're, like when we're awesome, when we're succeeding, when we're performing well, the world sees us. The world hears us. The world celebrates us. That just, that just happens when life is going well. But when we're failing, uh, when we blow it, uh, when we're wandering through the wilderness seasons of our lives, and when, when we're invisible to the rest of the world, you have a particularly beautiful role of seeing us and hearing us at our worst. You you see us at our best, but you also see and hear us when we're down, when we're out, when we're at our worst. And fathers, we can play that role too. We can see and hear our, our children too, but there's something unique about a mother's love, this unconditional space of hearing and seeing her children that is just a beautiful thing, and so I just want to say thank you that you you reveal part of who God is to us this this picture of our God, and the particular side of Him that is this tender but strong and relentless pursuit of His people at our best and especially at our worst. And so I hope that you are encouraged by that. And then secondly, I just want to remind you in your role as women. And your role as mothers, whether you have biological children or spiritual children, you think about your own relationship with your mom, whatever context you want to play that out, I just want to remind you of, of a simple truth, that, that God sees you and God hears you, just as he did these two ancient mothers, Sarah and Hagar. And he sees you and hears you in, in, in whatever you're going through right now. And, and I was just thinking this week: you know, uh, mothering is, is not for the faint of heart. Amen? Mothers, it's not. It is this job that is unending. It is tireless. It is so often thankless. And so many of the things you do are unseen, right? There's just these sacrifices, big and small, um, that nobody else will ever see or nobody else will ever acknowledge. And so I just want to encourage you, remind you of a simple truth that God sees. (laughs) And God hears it all. And so whatever season of life you're in, I I hope that you can receive that this morning. For some of you right now, you're in this this season where mothering and just your role is just about the mundane, right? Just like the daily mundane grind of folding clothes, right? Changing diapers, cooking meals, buckling and unbuckling car seats. Holy moly. (laughs) Right? Just just these utterly mundane things that do not feel significant. And just to be right, God sees you in the mundaneness of your life stage, right now, he hears you. For some of you, mothering right now is about sacrifice. I mean, you, you, you're sacrificing time, you're sacrificing energy, you, you've sacrificed a lot of personal freedom. Um, you sacrifice your body. <laughs> I think of my wife who's, you know, had three kids in the last six six years. And I just, I just talked to her. I'm like, You've, your body's just been hammered over the last six years, you know? <laughs> like there are all these just constant needs being put on your body by these three kids. And then you have an adult male who has these needs on your body too. And it's like, oh, just brutal. <laughs> just your, just, I, I call her the giving tree. You guys know the story of the giving tree, like right? The tree ends up a stump, you know, at the end. It's like, there's just sacrifice to mothering. And so much of that goes unnoticed and unseen and unheard and not uh, and unthanked. And so just a reminder that God sees that. God hears that. Um, for some of you women, this is a season of brokenness um, in your relationship with your mom or, your, uh, or sadness. With, or maybe your mom's not here or, or your children. But it's a time of conflict. Uh, it's a time of hard trying to think of how best to love uh, these people. And God sees you in that. And hears you in that. And for some of you, this is a season of great joy and laughter. And just unexpected um, newness to your relationships. And, and God sees that. And all of that, we have this God who sees it and hears it all. And so my prayer is that the blessing that Hagar pronounces would be on you this season. I have now seen the one who sees me. May you see the Lord. May you actually experience Him in the season of your life, whatever the season entails, the one who always sees you, may you get some glimpse of his presence in your life and and his action and provision in your life. Let me just leave you with the end of this story, at least in in the biblical account of of these two sons. This is the last time we see these two sons together, Hagar, I'm sorry, Ishmael and Isaac. Okay, Um, This is in Genesis. Then Abraham, this is years later, he breathed his last... And died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. This is the last time we see these brothers together. His sons, Isaac and Ishmael, they're there at his death. They buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field Abraham had bought from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his wife, Sarah. So this is the last we get of these two brothers together, burying their father. And I leave you with those two names. And may these names be a blessing to you, women. Isaac, may you experience laughter in the midst of the challenges of mothering. And Ishmael, the Lord hears. May you experience this, God, who hears you and sees you no matter what. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that in the midst of the beauty, the joys, the longings, the brokenness, the dysfunction, the disruption of our lives, the mess in the full spectrum of our lives, you consistently reveal yourself in the scriptures as this God who is with us, who sees us, who hears us. And I pray for especially the women today that they would actually experience you, that they would experience your presence with them every day, whatever they're going through. They would experience you as their faithful companion, as their savior, as their king, as their father, as their friend. And that they would be encouraged to the task that you have given them. We pray this in Jesus' name.
0: Amen.